0: Last week, we interrupted our series of journey, journeying through Genesis. If you've visited with us today for the first time, we began several weeks ago preaching through the book of Genesis. And we uh, kind of interrupted that series to cast vision. Pastor Colby did a great job last Sunday of casting a vision for Alberta Baptist Church, communicating that vision. Very simple, but concise and powerful The vision for Alberta Baptist Church is that every member would know God. That every member would find community, a place to belong. And that every member of Alberta Baptist Church would live on mission. Very simple. Know God, find community, and live on mission. I hope that over the past week, as you've been kind of uh, thinking about last week's message, that you've been looking at your life. Thinking about your involvement, not just in church, but your relationship with the Lord. How, how are we doing in these areas? Do we know God? Are we Have we found community, a place to belong? And are we living on mission? So this morning, we're going to begin looking at each of these three aspects. And the first is to know God. And I'll just say this. If you don't know God, <laughs> then living in community, you may have the best fellowship in the world. And you may do the greatest things in the world in terms of living on mission. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 7 that on that day, son will stand up and say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, for I never, what? Never knew you. So we see that a relationship with the Lord is first and foremost in it. So uh, it's interesting, Was we in staff meeting several weeks ago decided how we we're going to preach through this. And, and so I was going to start with knowing God <laughs> it's kind of like taking a drink of water from a fire hydrant. You ever tried that? There's a lot coming at you in a hurry. I mean, the whole Bible is about knowing God. Where do you start? Where do you end? I mean, this is amazing. Uh, you know, if you're visiting here again, we try to preach God's word in expository way. I, I remember asking a preacher one time, an old preacher, country preacher, are you an expository preacher or a topical preacher? He said, Well, I just pick a topic and expose all I know about it. <laughs> so he kind of covered both. But uh we normally teach expository sermons or preach expository sermons, but th- this is such a vast topic this morning. And I want to use Second Peter kind of as our launching pad, but and we're not gonna spend a lot of time there. We'll come back to it later in the message. But but Peter says this Second Peter, Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. How do we receive that? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace through the knowledge of God and our, and Jesus our Lord. Seeing that His divine power has granted, given to us everything Pertaining to life and godliness, how? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Wow, there's a lot we could unpack there, but let's ask God to bless. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to move and work in this place today. God, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. God, incline our hearts to your word. Father, turn our hearts away from the things of the world, incline them to you. Father, unite our hearts to fear your name, to hear your word today, to honor you as God in this place, in our life, in our heart today. And Father, satisfy us. With the goodness of your word, we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Satisfy us, Father, from your word, we pray. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. When we begin talking about this vast topic of knowing God, where do we go? Where do we start? We start with God. You know, that's where the gospel starts. Where, where is, who is God? What is God really like? I love the story. Josh Harris has written a book called Dug Down Deep. And he tells this story that I think that we can all relate to if you're a Christian and you've ever struggled with evangelism. You can relate to this story. Josh Harris says he was walking through a mall one day and he saw a lady sitting in a booth reading a magazine. And he, he just got that Christian guilt. You ever get that? Need to say something about Jesus. Need to talk to this woman about God. And so he walks over to this woman And he says, excuse me, but I just felt that I was to tell you that God loves you. And the reason I tell that story is for her response. Listen to this. She looked up from her magazine with the most bored, disinterested expression imaginable. She raised one eyebrow. I've been trying to do it. I don't know if I can do that. She raised one eyebrow and said, I know that. And immediately turned back to her magazine. God loves you. I know that. How would you respond? (laughs) Josh Harris says, I froze. I had no idea what to say next. So I turned and walked away. I can relate to that. Can you relate to that? I mean, you try to initiate a conversation and it doesn't go anywhere He just walked away. He said, I came away with two realizations. Number one, he said, I stink at evangelism. (laughs) I stink at evangelism and that telling someone God loves them is a dumb way to start a conversation. But he said the second thing that he realized was that like this woman. Now, here's the point of the story. Like this woman, a lot of people take lightly the idea of God loving them. Because they don't know who God is. They take lightly the idea that God loves them because they have no idea who God is. So if we're going to talk today about knowing God, we need to begin. Who, who is God? See, a lot of people think that God loves me. Yeah, that's his job. He's supposed to love me. And then what a God does He's there when I need him. I can call on him. He answers to my beck and call. God loves everybody. He's a God of love. He he needs us. He's there for us when we want him or we need him. And if we were by chance to pay him attention, like maybe go to church or do a good deed or give some money, then we have really done God a favor. And we are really good people because we have done something for God church, it's sad to say a lot of people think about God in those terms. He's just this big sugar daddy in the sky. God loves me. Sure, I know that. Big deal. But who is this God who does love us, by the way? I'm not belittling that fact. But the fact that the God of the universe loves us is amazing in itself. The love of God is really great news only when we understand how truly how truly great and awesome God is. Psalm 8, Brother Jared, who is man that you would even consider? God, the, the creator of the universe, how great and majestic is God, but yet he loves us. So what is the true nature of God? That's where we begin this morning. The gospel always begins with God, not with us. Who, what is the true nature of God? Let me just tell you, first of all, that we as humans do not know God fully. It is impossible for us to know everything about God. Here's the reason, because if we knew everything about God, we would be equal to God. I have a washing machine and dryer at my house. I start saying I know how to turn it on, try, but I don't. I don't ever do that. But I don't know how it works. But I, there's somebody in this community who can, I can call and they'll come over. They know how this thing operates because they either created it, they've studied it, they can master that thing. I can't. See, we, if we knew everything about God, we'd be equal to God. We will never know God fully. But let me tell you two things. We, we do know God truly, and we can know God personally. That's the great thing. But who is God? What does the Bible say about God? The Bible says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty three, 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable, I have a hard time with that word, unfathomable, is his, his ways, his ways, unsearchable, unfathomable. God is so much greater than we are. In this life, we will never be able to totally comprehend the greatness of God. He is not just some grandfather figure who loves us because that's his job. We cannot know Him fully, but we can know, as I said, we can know Him truly. It's true, we can't know everything about God, but everything that God has revealed to us is true. And let me tell you this right away. We would not know what we do know if God did not reveal it to us. We're not smart enough. We're not on a plane where we can discover God like we would discover another planet or another location geographically. We can't. God chooses to reveal to us himself. And God has done that in several ways and we'll see in just a minute. But what is he like? What does the scripture tell us? Well, I'm going to, God is self-existent. And again, I don't want to get in an area here where we get bogged down, but here's the point. We want to talk about the greatness of God before we talk about how we know God, because I want you to know it's a big deal. It's a big deal that you and I can know God. The, un- the God of the universe, the creator of the universe. He is self-existent. What does that mean? He does not rely on anything outside of himself. He does not need us. We need air to breathe, food to eat, and water to drink. God does not. He does not need anything. Acts 17, 24. God does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. God does not need us. God does not need anything. He is self-existent. He is everywhere. The the word is omnipresent. We are limited in space. We cannot be two places at once. But God is everywhere. I remember the first time touching down on a plane in St. Petersburg, Russia. My first thought was, God, are you here too? That's a long way from Evergreen, Alabama where I grew up. Are you here too? Yes. God's in St. Petersburg, Russia. He is everywhere. The psalmist says this, Where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Where can you go from the presence of God? There's nowhere to go. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. God is all powerful. We are limited in power. There are limits to how fast you can run. There are limits to how much you can lift. But God is all powerful. He is El Shaddai. Remember we saw that in Gen- Genesis 17:1. He is all powerful. There's nothing too hard for him. With God all things are possible. He is the God of all flesh. The Bible tells us very clearly. He is uh, omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is all knowing. We're limited in knowledge. God is not. He knows everything. He is perfect in knowledge. The psalmist said, even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Jesus said, when we pray, pray to your father. He knows what we need even before we ask him. There's nothing hidden from God. He knows everything to kind of sum up God. He's not just a bigger, stronger, smarter me or you. He is God totally unlike us. He is God. But the one word, the one adjective that we have to use when we talk about God, and I haven't said it yet, that God is holy. God is holy. There's one way to describe his love. There's one way to describe his judgment. There's one way to describe his power. There's one way to describe his knowledge. And that one way is with one word, holy. God is holy. Now, when we think about that, we think about his moral purity. That God doesn't mess up. He doesn't sin like we do. But the word holy means so much more than that. It means that he is totally separate from us. Totally transcendent. That means that he has totally surpassed us in every way. R.C. Sproul says, when the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendentally separate. He is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign to us. He's not a bigger, better, stronger us. He's God, the creator of the universe. To be transcendent means that he is surpassing all others, superior, beyond common thought or experience. Unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable are his ways. But see, the problem today is that we have turned, we rely more on reason than we do revelation. What has God revealed to us about, our, about himself? That's what we need to consider rather than what do we think about who God is. So, how has God revealed Himself to us? Quickly, two ways, primarily. First of all, by natural revelation, which would be creation and conscience. Creation. You know, you, you look around. The psalmist said, Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. We look at the sunset. We look at the sunrise. We look at the mountains, the ocean, and we see the handiwork of God. God speaks to us through his creation. They're declaring de- declaring the work of his hands. He speaks to us through our conscience. In Romans 1, Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Through creation, through conscience within us, God has made Himself known within us. Wayne Grudem says... All persons everywhere have a deep inner sense that God exists, that they are his creatures, and he is their creator. That which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them. David Platt, again, makes a similar statement. For every person on the face of the earth and every person throughout history, without exception, has knowledge of God. The man in the African jungle, the woman in the Asian village, the nomad in the remotest desert all have this in common. All people have knowledge of God because God has revealed himself to them as the scripture says, so that they are without excuse. Now think about who you are. Your past. Now some of you are like me. I started going to church nine months before I was born. You know, you, you were being a pew. I've always felt right home in the church. So, knowing that there was a God was never a problem. I heard about God all my life. You know, my mom used to pray for me. God help you if you ever do that again. You know, I've heard prayers, I've heard reference to God all my life. You know, but not everybody grew up in a family like that or an environment like that. But yet, what's the Bible telling us? The truth is that we see God in creation, we sense God in our conscience. That there's something there. There's a sense of right and wrong. Someone asked David Platt years ago about, he said, what about that innocent man in Africa who never hears about Jesus? Will he go to heaven? And David Platt said, yes. That innocent man in Africa who never hears about Jesus will go to heaven. The only problem is, there is no such thing. There is no innocent man in Africa. Because see, as we the knowledge of God. The scripture says we have all rebelled against that knowledge. Even though they knew God, Paul said in Romans one, they did not honor him as God or give thanks somewhere on a distant shore. They look up and they see the creation. Well, I'd like to, you know, there's a God who did all this, but they do not honor him or give thanks and that's why the gospel is so important for us to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's another matter for another day. But unbelievers exchange the truth of God for a lie. So God has revealed himself to us in a natural way through creation, through our conscience. He's also revealed himself by special revelation. This is through scripture and through his own son. God became a man through scripture from beginning to end. The scripture is a revelation of God who He is. Again, you know, we have created God in our own image. We, we want to put God in a box. We want to say, you know, God does this. God wouldn't do that. But we need to go to Scripture. What does the Scripture say about who God is? God is so great. As I said earlier, everything we know about Him, He revealed to us. So He's revealed Himself to us through Scripture. And then quickly, He's revealed Himself to us through His Son. Hebrews 1. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. The writer of Hebrews says that God has spoken to us through his son. But let me tell you this, Jesus is more than just a messenger. Jesus said in John 14, 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. John 1, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus didn't come just to talk to us about God. He came to reveal God to us. So He's revealed Himself to us through creation, through our conscience, through Scripture, and through Christ. And number three, here's the... The kicker right here. What is the greatest obstacle to knowing God? Well, based on what we've said so far, some of you may think, well, the greatest obstacle is the fact that God is so unknowable. God is so great. God is so amazing. God is so awesome. How could I know Him? Well, let me tell you, that's not the greatest obstacle. It's not the fact that He's so great. Our greatest obstacle is the sad truth That we are so self-centered, we don't want to know God. We are so self-centered that we don't want to know God. A verse in John chapter 7. I remember seeing this years ago when I preached that gospel. This is to me the greatest explanation of unbelief in all of Scripture. John 7, 17. Jesus said, if anyone is willing to do his, the Father's will... If anyone's willing to do the Father's will, if we're willing, he will know of the teaching, that is Jesus' teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. Now, what does that have to do with unbelief? Jesus said, if you're willing, willingness to obey is the first sign of true belief. We by nature, want to refuse to obey. We want to surrender. We we don't want to surrender to His glory because we're all seeking our own glory. To surrender. I mean, who who wants to do that? To believe is to surrender ourselves to the will of God. We don't want to do that because we are all so self-centered. All of us. But when we do... Come to a point, so well, you know, we, we do want to consider God. As I said, we want to create a God in our own image, somebody that we could surrender to, a God that we could get along with. We want a, a, a God that we can judge by our own standards of justice, our own standards of fairness, our own standards of power and mercy. So we've in essence, created a God many times in our own image because we don't want to surrender to the God that's been revealed to us in the Scripture. The greatest obstacle to knowing God is that we're all self-centered. And we have to, we must come to God on His terms and not our terms. So how can we truly know God? As I said, we can't know God fully because He's so great. But we can know God truly as He's revealed to us and we can, this is the most amazing thing. We can know God personally. You know, you've probably, growing up, I know you hear people, I know God, God told me this, you know, well, yeah, I you got this relationship, yeah, I've got an imaginary friend, Lucy or Janie, that I talk to. You no, know, you know, having a personal relationship with the God of the universe is possible. You can know God. Not only is it possible, it's essential. It's essential. God created us. God created us in order that we, like unlike all other creation, can have a relationship with Him as we've seen in Genesis. The most amazing aspect of the knowledge of God is that we're able not just to know about God, but that we can know God personally. God has not just revealed facts about Himself to us. He has revealed Himself to us through His Word and through his son. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know, to know, to know. God wants us to know him, to have a relationship with him. When we come to know him, the Bible says we belong to him. We become his child. But as many as received him, John 1, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. When we become his child, we enter into his family. He becomes our father and we have a relationship with him. He sets us apart from all others. You know how he does that? He distinguishes his children. Uh, I've got a unique chin. And it's interesting, my sons have it, my grandsons have it. They're kind of set apart with the pew chin. They got that going for them. What a blessing. But anyway, God sets us apart by giving us his spirit. That one's mine. 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 mine. He puts his spirit in us. When we come to know him, the Holy Spirit comes. Paul says, do you not know you're the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? And the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. When we come to know God, the Spirit of God dwells in us. We enter into a relationship that is sealed by the Spirit of God. He puts His Spirit in us and sets us apart from all others as His child. Let me tell you, it's possible to know a lot about God without knowing God. That church is a warning. That's a warning from Scripture. It's possible to know a lot about God Without knowing God. So I'm going to talk to you. God is knowable. What are the results? How can I know if I know God? We see this in 2 Peter. Four realities are ours when we know God. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Four realities are yours and mine when we know God. Grace and peace, godliness and life. When I know God, I begin to understand the concept of grace. Because see, it's only through a relationship with God can I truly see grace and understand grace in my life. Because see, that's what God has done for us in order for us to have a relationship with Him in the first place. It's all about grace. Peter says He called us. We've received. What do we have? Paul said to the church at Corinth. What do you have that you did not receive? The answer to that is nothing. Nothing. We received a faith of the same kind by the righteousness of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace, grace, God's unmerited favor. He's extended grace to us through his son. He's called us, justified us, and he is sanctifying us. That means setting us apart by his grace. And ultimately, he will glorify us. Do you know that? One day we will know him just like he knows us. We will be fully known. John says, 1 John 3, that it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. All that by God's grace. All that by God's grace. He called us, He justified us, He sanctified us, and He's going to glorify us by His grace. When we come to know God, we know His grace, we experience His grace. Let me tell you, be careful not to share that with anybody else, okay? I mean, we we wouldn't want to be gracious people to other people. I mean, we wouldn't want to be gracious to others because God, isn't that silly? God has been so gracious to us that we of all people ought to be gracious and forgiving and extending love because he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Grace, we could go on for hours. Peace. This is a big one in my life. How many of you are college freshmen? Let me see your hand. Both of you? i has got several college freshmen. I remember coming to Alabama my freshman year. I mean, I was diagnosed with ulcers in high school. Anything, you could say anything about my life except peace. Man, I worried about everything. But you know, my freshman year, when I came to know Jesus, in Bryant Hall, room 301, the first thing I noticed was peace. Man, this is great. And I didn't know at the time, but I found out later, I'm protected by the power of God. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, you greatly rejoice. I mean, peace, knowing that God had it all covered. He had my back, He had it all taken care of. So that's the peace of God. I Man, I didn't have to worry. Goodbye, ulcers. But not only did I have the peace of God, I had peace with God. As I said, I grew up knowing there was a God, never had a doubt that God existed. The problem was, how could I know God? How could I be right with God? And it's only through Jesus Christ. He who took my sin and gave me his righteousness. In Christ, I have the peace of God. Paul said this in Romans 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are reconciled to God through Christ. He is my father. He loves me. He forgives me. I have peace with God. And money can't buy that. Tonight, when you lay your head on your pillow, if you don't have peace with God, you don't have anything. Money can't buy peace with God. But by faith in Jesus Christ, we can know that we have a right relationship with the God of the universe. We have grace and peace. Quickly. Godliness and life are ours through knowing Christ. He actually says that God has granted, given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. Let's talk about godliness. Godliness. What is godliness? Very simply, godliness is a love for the things of God and a walk in the ways of God. Is that who you are? We're talking about how do I know if I know? I know what grace is all about. I've received grace and I extend grace. I know what peace is all about. No longer am I trying to perform and earn my way into heaven. I know God loves me. I have peace with God. And when things go wrong, I have the peace of God in my life. And it's available to all of us. But godliness? Would you consider yourself a godly person? Notice what Peter says in verse 3. He has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory. In verse 4, And by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of a divine nature. Through the promises of God. By knowing God, we become partakers of a divine nature. Church, that's pretty big. That's different from who we are by nature, a divine nature, godliness, a love for God, a walk in the ways of God. That's the result of knowing God. What does that mean? It means my life changes. Does it mean I'm perfect? No. Here's what I like to say. Listen to me carefully. Don't misunderstand. It's not the perfection of your life. It's the direction of your life. Okay. When I come to know God, it does not mean I'm perfect. It's not the perfection of my life, it's the direction of my life. What does that mean? We're like Paul, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. I'm pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to say that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings in order that I might be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what it means, not the perfection, but the direction of your life. Pressing on toward godliness. Do you have that desire? Is that the goal of your life? Is that where you are right now? I'm not perfect, I haven't, but I'm pressing on toward knowing God, toward godliness. That's a result of knowing God. Grace, peace, godliness. But Peter actually says life and godliness. I want to talk about life last. Because, see, that's what knowing God's really all about, is life. The truth is that we're separated from God because of our sin. The soul that sins shall surely die. And see, we can be alive yet dead. How many of you have artificial Christmas trees every year? Let me see. How many of you have live Christmas trees every year? you got a live Christmas tree. That thing's growing in your house. If you, I want to come to your house next Christmas, okay? Because if you've got a live Christmas tree, it's been cut off, it's dead, you just don't know it yet. It may look good, may smell good, may be decorated pretty, but it's not alive. <laughs> there's no life in that tree. And you know, there are a lot of people who come to church and we look good, smell good, we're decorated good, but there's no life. We just suit up and show up Sunday after Sunday. We have life when we come to know Christ. Jesus said, he who hears my words and believes on Him who sent me, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. See, the reality is people live spiritually dead. Paul said in Ephesians 2, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked according to the course of this world. A person who does not know God is alive physically, but they're dead spiritually. It's what the Bible says, not Keith Pugh. It's what the Bible says. And the greatest need is for life. How can I know life? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John said, he who has the Son of God has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So this morning as we wrap it up, there are two groups of people in this room today, the haves and the have-nots. Those who have life in Jesus because you have Christ and those who do not have life because you don't have Jesus. Jesus said in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will not turn them away. That's the invitation this morning as we close. Come to life. You can know God today. The God of the universe. The one who is omnipresent, omnipotent. All, the, all the, He's great. Awesome. But He loves you. And you're here today because God desires to have a relationship with you. If you will confess your sin and repent of your sin, you can come to know Christ. I'm about to leave off the last point of my outline. Here we go. Number six. It's not in the printed bulletin, but it's how do we lead people to know God at ABC? This is what we're all about. It's not about doing this or that. It's about leading people into a relationship with God, finding community, and living on mission. We do that through groups, through Sunday school, life groups, the word of God. This gospel that we've shared this morning is taught through Sunday school, is taught in life groups as people meet together to pray together. It's taught through men's ministry, women's ministry, through our helping hands ministry. We want to meet the physical needs of this community, but more importantly, we want to meet the spiritual needs of this community through the helping hands ministry. That's how we put our faith to work. You know, when when we stand before God, you know, God's not going to say, well said, my good and faithful servant. Well said. What's he going to say? Well, well done. Helping hands is how we put our faith into action. Our college ministry, our college ministry is committed to the word of God. Seeing students just like I did 1975, 100 years ago, as a freshman came to know Christ. Our desire is for students to come to know Christ. We have the best college minister in Tuscaloosa in the world, Kyle Bryant. We want to leave. we want to teach God's word so students can come to know Christ and grow in that relationship. Children and youth. Cindy (laughs) Flukoff. That's the first time I've said that in relationship to her name. Drew's wife, Cindy, (laughs) our children's minister. Let me tell you, uh, you know, statistics, you know, according to statistics, a man gets hit by a car every 20 minutes. I think that guy's a glutton glutton for punishment. Anyway, statistics say that 85% of people who come to know Christ, come to know Christ before age 18. Little Laura, baptized this morning. 85% of the people who come to know Christ, come to know Christ before the age 18. Cindy and Jared with our children and youth ministry. If we don't invest in children and youth, we're going to miss the next generation. Our children are taught the gospel that we've heard this morning, how they can know God. Through small groups, through helping hands, through our college ministry, through our children and youth. Not to mention North River Christian Academy, our school, not to mention our Compassion International. We have so many things going on, but these are the four we're highlighting right now. Okay, These are the ways we want people to come to know God. And we need you need to be a part of one of these areas, but most importantly, you need to know God. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for your word this morning.